Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. Today I want to talk about who gets to live in heaven. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 to 46. Matthew 25 verse 31 to 46. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. Because in this passage you share with us what's very much in your heart. But God, it has often not entered into our hearts. It's not filled, it's not occupied our minds. Speak your truths to us today, as we may understand truly what you see, how you feel, that we may turn to you, that you will transform our minds, our hearts, and our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 25, 31-46 When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in person or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonder if we felt, you felt very alarmed when you listened to this passage read. Because it tells us very clearly that there will be a judgment at the end of time when the Son of Man, when Jesus Christ with all his angels, will sit on his glorious throne. That's the end of time when he becomes king of kings and lord of lords, when he becomes the boss. And then he will judge. And immediately, our defense jumps in. And we say, but God, isn't it true that in the letters, in Romans and Paul's letters, that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works? Is this again a return to works? Is this again a return to salvation by works? But I thought we are all saved 
What are you saying now? And we defend ourselves and say, but I thought that as long as we became Christian, as long as we received Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's it. What is this about judgment on what we have done? Whether we have cared for the poor and the sick and visited the ones in prison and in hospital, what are you saying indeed? Well, actually, there is no contradiction at all. Because this is not about what you have done or what you did, but this is about what we become. But first of all, before I even talk about the theology of it, just think for a moment about yourself. This is heaven. And heaven is something that God prepared right from the beginning. It says that in verse 34, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Heaven isn't an afterthought. Heaven isn't something that God thought of and hastily created for us. Rather, God painstakingly prepared this right from the beginning, right from the creation of the earth. He had this big plan that on earth we live for some years and then there will be heaven, a beautiful place where there will no longer be pain, no weeping, no, no sorrow, no death, no sin, no wickedness. It will be a perfect place. But think now then, going to such a perfect place where there will be joy and eternally too for ever and ever. Who would you like to populate such a place? Think, who would you really want to have populate such a beautiful place that's prepared long before at the creation of all things from God's heart? Would you want someone who is selfish, entitled, self-seeking, self-centered, and perhaps to add to that selfishness, this what we call in Singapore the gyasuness, he books a place in heaven by saying the, prison, the, the sinner's prayer. So this guy has no intention of changing. He wants to be as selfish as he can, as self-seeking as he wants to be. He wants to amass everything for himself. He doesn't care if he's wicked to others or that others are suffering and others are dying. None of his business as long as he has saved a place in heaven for himself by saying the sinner's prayer. You want that person to be your neighbour on your right and left and top and bottom? Aren't you tired of having such people live as your neighbours and your colleagues and all around you? You want to live eternal, in eternity with these people once again? Would that be heaven? Would you rather not go to hell? Sure, it's a beautiful place. Sure, everything is gold and beautiful. And you still have the neighbours and everyone around you grabbing from each other, indifferent to the needs of others. Is that heaven at all? Would you not rather go to heaven, regardless of what it looks like, but a place where everyone is compassionate and kind and looks to interests of others more than for themselves? Would that not be your idea of heaven? You see, when God chooses people to populate heaven, He is very discriminating. He will not want people who have no intention of changing, no intention of being kind and loving and merciful. He wants to populate heaven with the kinds of people who care for others, who recognize the dignity of others, who sees 
those in need with compassion and with dignity. God is wise in His choice and I bet you, you, you feel the same about God. That those are the neighbours, those are the people you want to populate heaven together with you. So what about this, about being saved by grace through faith? Well, the starting point is that all of us are like that description. Selfish, unmerciful, self-seeking, self-centred, wicked. We start that way. And we are an offence to God and God did not take offence but He forgave us again and again and again. He let His Son die to take away that sin but He's not about to leave you in that condition. Because that's not a tenable condition. That kind of condition cannot make heaven because we fight all the time over everything. We fight each other. It will be hell, on, hell in heaven just as it's often hell on earth. But God wants to change us. And He wants, despite all our sinfulness, to transform our lives. There's no contradiction. You know, John Wesley, since we're all Wesleyans, John Wesley had this hope to, that all of us will reach perfection. He acknowledged that hardly any one of us will. In his lifetime, he saw one or two. He himself acknowledged that he wasn't perfect. Although he saw one or two, people become perfect, not perfect in every way, but perfect in love. Because John Wesley knew that love was everything. If one could be perfected in love, meaning that one could love others and love God perfectly, that would be the ultimate aim of God. But all of us need to be starting on that journey. We need at least to want to be that. We need at least to yearn to be that. Not to say that we want a free trip to heaven by saying the sinner's prayer. And then after that it's, well, never mind, it's my life, it's all about me. I get to heaven. That's not the kind of people God wants to inhabit heaven at all. And so when Jesus talked about feeding the poor and giving drink to the thirsty and clothing the naked and visiting those who are sick and in prison, he wasn't talking about a checklist. Years ago when I was with Prison Fellowship, we interviewed prospective um, volunteers and one, I asked one of them, why do you want to be a, vis- a volunteer in prison? He says, well, the Bible tells me that we have got to do all these things and I'm just checking the boxes to make sure that I have at least visited the prison once. I mean, I, I was really dismayed at this answer. I mean, I was incredulous actually and of course I told him no that's not the way it is but it reminds me of this story that I heard where Jesus was standing next to um, Saint Peter at Pearly Gates and this very very rich man came up and Peter asked him the usual question what have you done while on earth did you help the poor did you do give arms, do do anything. And this rich man thought for a long time, very long time, finally said, yes, I remember throwing 10 cents into a beggar's bowl. Jesus looked at Peter, Peter shrugged, and Jesus said, go and give that man 10 cents and ask him to go to hell. Well, you might say that I'm being profane. But did you know that that was exactly what Jesus said? Jesus said in verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's exactly Jesus saying, Now, you guys go to hell. Because Jesus is speaking from his heart of hearts. You know, Jesus isn't anymore teaching us theology or getting us to ruminate about some great theological principles. Jesus is speaking from his heart. Do you know how I know that? Because Jesus calls, identifies himself with the least of our brothers and sisters. Jesus says that whatever you do to the least of them, you do to me. When you serve them and you care for them, then you're doing it for me. When you don't, you're doing it against me. Jesus is getting really personal. He identifies personally with these people and he says, whatever touches these people touches me. He is speaking from his heart. And from his heart, he's saying to those who have done well, who have changed, who have a character of compassion, come and live with me. And to those who don't, he's saying, now go to hell. That's how serious it is. It is an alarming truth, but it makes a lot of sense. That the people that Jesus wants to live with him, to populate, to inhabit heaven, are the people who share his heart. The ones who care for the least of our brothers and sisters. What is it like to feed the poor, <coughs> to feed the hungry, <coughs> to visit the sick and those in prison? Let me give you a little idea. First of all, feeding the hungry, or just generally look at it. What Jesus is saying is that we look at each of these persons as people precious to God, people with dignity, people who are our equals, who are now in circumstances that are more dire, and we need to walk with them and to support them. Often we see them as nameless people who are much less than we are. But have you ever mused about what it is like that if by accident or fate or by birth we or I was not born in Singapore, that I was not born in Singapore in the security of this home in a middle class family, gone to you and become a pastor, respected person, but rather if I was everything like me, tumingly, with the same brains, with the same mind, with the same emotions, the same of everything, but I was born in Myanmar as a Rohingya, or was born in Mexico as a refugee, Mexican refugee, would I be any less mingly than I am right now? Would I deserve less dignity? Would I deserve less care if my loved ones were to die? Would people give me the same attention and same consolation, condolence as they would now that I'm a pastor? Would all of that be just forgotten, ignored, because I'm one of the trash of society? Would I be even considered someone who enters illegally, someone who deserves nothing? No pity, no compassion, just disdain because I'm something less than everyone else. 
that I am the same person I am Chiu Ming Li, just that I was by accident of birth born somewhere else, born in a crowded place where everyone is poor and everyone is starving and people die all the time and therefore if my loved ones were to die it doesn't matter. If I were to die I'd be thrown into a pit and forgotten. Would that accident of birth have made all that difference to my dignity, to my person, my existence? You know, when we think of it, we, were, we did not deserve to be born well-off, secure, protected. Where the death toll from COVID is only 20, or is it 30? Well, it's 30, but it's still minuscule compared to those in other countries. Nothing that we did gave us this privilege. But we are privileged and we are still the same person. How then do we look at others in different circumstances? Do we still see them with dignity? When we meet them in heaven, will we say to them, Hey, we were brothers all the time and I've seen you that way. And I felt the same way about you. But let's look a bit at at these individual items those who are hungry I think one of the difficulties about those who are hungry is that we've got to feed them it means taking our finances taking money from ourselves and giving it to them and that's a little of a sacrifice one day I was at a church camp in, in a group discussion and we were talking about this about helping a beggar helping the poor and one of the participants was very upset and he said, you know, I was so pissed because this man, I offered him a few cents and he said, could you give me a meal instead? And I felt kind and I said, well, yeah, sure, I could buy you a meal. And he said, could you buy me herbal chicken? I was really upset because, or that man said, I was really upset because, hey, herbal chicken costs six bucks. Why would you, a man with no money, want something costing six bucks? Why don't you only ask for something cost, costing $2, for example? And he said, in my anger, I shoved him away and said, I'm not helping you at all because you are extravagant. You're trying to manipulate me, exploit from me. So I listened. I thought for a while, this man doesn't understand the poor, for one. He doesn't understand himself, for another. He doesn't understand human nature. First of all, the poor. The poor often want something that they've never had before. Imagine this man not having a meal at all for many days. He eats the simplest and simplest of meals. He goes to a food court and he sees people eating herbal chicken. And he says, if only there was one day when I could eat herbal chicken. I can never afford it because I can't even have a bowl of noodles. If someone were to offer me a meal, and he looks like he can afford it. Why don't I ask for herbal chicken? I've been longing for that. Could this member of mine ever have thought that way this poor man for this poor man herbal chicken may be his first time he's ever tasting something that he's seen others eat and enjoy i thought about myself one day a very generous church member invited me for lunch a very posh restaurant as i opened the menu i just almost freaked out the cheapest was 90 bucks and the meal that I really wanted cost $169. How could I ask a 
anyone a host to give me a meal for $169. So I looked quizzically at her and looked down at the menu and looked at her again. So I said, yeah, anything, anything, anything on this menu. Well, she was offering me anything. And I said, well, actually, this one looks nice. And I pointed to this $169 item. She said, oh yeah, sure. I'm ordering the same thing. I was very relieved, but hey, I'd never eaten anything costing 169 bucks before. And here was something of a delicacy that was right before my eyes. I'd seen others talk about it, others eating it. I'd never tasted it myself. And of course, I wanted something like that if I only had a chance. But who... But how could I afford a $169 meal? But I thought of this man who wanted a $6 herbal chicken and me wanting a $169 meal. The irony didn't, didn't escape me. Really looked dumb. But if we understood human nature that we would want something that we weren't given and if we had a chance, why not take it? And if we understood the poor man wanted something slightly better than what he had always gotten. Does it cost us, would it cost us too much to buy him a meal and make him happy? Perhaps the reason we don't is that we think that he doesn't deserve it, that he's lower than we are. And Man, I mean, if we could afford $6 and saw him as someone with dignity, saw him as someone whom Jesus treasures and values, What's $6? I had a $169 meal simply because I was the pastor. <laughs> God didn't say he likes pastors. God says he likes the poor. This man deserved more. And then we look at those who are naked. The thing about the naked is not just that they have no clothes. It's often that they're smelly as well. They're unbathed. As much as the clothes are in, are in shreds, they actually have no money to clean themselves either or to wash their clothes or to change their clothes. Generally, they stink. I wonder what it feels like to have them walk into our church or to have one sit next to us, unbathed and dirty, and then feeling that they too are people of dignity, feeling that they too are no different from us, that they are, we are equals. Before God's eyes, they are precious. And then whether we offer them clothes or we offer them hospitality or we offer them well uh, warmth, it's all about what we think of them and how we see them. Who are they to us? Same goes for those in prison. We are often suspicious of prisoners. And one of the things then is that when these people come, whether they're the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the homeless. We often have all our antenna pushed up. We worry that they will cheat us and exploit us and take things from us. The reality is that as a pastor, I've hardly ever had someone who's really poor exploit us. I've had my church has been exploited many times. Once, several hundred thousand dollars. But you know, they're all pretended to be rich. They all pretended to have lots of money and therefore they were worthy of our loans. Never once a really poor person. But 
talking about loans and getting cheated, let's just say this. If you had to lend someone or give, lend someone or give someone a thousand five hundred dollars or more, please tell me first. Not that you should be boasting about it, that's not the point. Tell me because if I had a data bank of who's fleecing you guys, then at least I can warn you. One of the things about being in church is that if you got fleeced by people, they'll tell you give me a hundred give me five hundred dollars, give me a thousand dollars or lend me some money and please don't tell everyone else because it's embarrassing. Well yeah, don't tell anyone else, just tell me. And if five people, ten people came to tell me that they've been asked to give a thousand dollars, I'll know that it's a scam and I'll let you know that it's a scam. But that's an aside. But generally the very poor don't cheat us. And so my appeal then is to understand the heart of Jesus, to understand what he sees, what he feels, that the poor, the needy, the helpless, the homeless are more precious to him than most of us. Jesus happily tells the Pharisees, you guys go to hell. doesn't tell the poorest or the sinners to go to hell. He calls them to come to him. If we were to put people in order of importance, they are far more important than pastors and church leaders, I suppose. Could we then change our priorities and our perspectives? But you know, one of the things about the poor is that they are a liability to church growth and to church finances. When we want people to come and fill our churches, we would like to have them fill our coffers as well. The rich who can afford to put money, to give more in offering and pledges, that's for our survival. And if we had only the poor come to us, we'd be in trouble because we'd run out of money. They are a liability. But think for a moment what, this, what we are really thinking, what we are really saying. If we cared for the survival of the church and we wanted those with money to come and to pay pledges and offering, but we didn't what we saw the poor as liabilities, and we failed to realize that the poor are the treasures in the eyes of Jesus, that they are the, his darlings, that they are the ones he loves the most. And what are we building a church for if it's not for Jesus? Are we just navel-gazing and building a rich church and for nothing because Jesus isn't going to stay there not when his beloved are outside the church is it even worth it but let me say something else from a practical point of view of course because first of all from a spiritual point of view God's going to provide that's a given but from a very practical point of view if the church were really to care for the poor and give sacrificially to the poor. Let me assure you that many of the rich will come to the church and pour their money into us. I know because when I served in a very rich church, people would give when you're giving to the hungry and the starving and they will stop giving if we are not giving to the poor. So that's the practical bottom line. But that aside, we think first of all about the heart of God the people whom Jesus would want to keep company with when he is on his throne in heaven, 
and the people that he wants surrounding him. What sort of people does he want? He wants compassionate people, people who have seen everyone as their equal and who have cared for those who are the equal, who have less at the moment. That's how a place can be heaven when it's inhabited by such people. Now when we look at our lives and our indifference to the poor, I think there is a lot of change that's needed. Perhaps just a start to recognise that that is what Jesus wants and that makes sense that these are the people God would want in heaven. Perhaps then, confession, repentance, saying to God that we are sorry, sorry that we never cared for those most precious to him. And then telling God that at present it's impossible to, to have that heart and that mind because we are not that way. We would rather keep our resources, we'd rather ignore the poor, we'd rather watch out for ourselves. We could be honest, we can be honest with Christ. And then we say, God, change my heart, change my mind, change my eyes. Help me to see differently. Help me to feel differently. Help me to live differently. If you're convicted of this, then pray this. Ask God to change, transform your life. Because that's important to God and it's important for our destiny as well. Let us pray. Father, how foolish we have been to not have seen this, to know this truth. That you would only want to be surrounded with people with hearts like yours in heaven. While on earth you are merciful, while on earth you give us chances after chances to change. At the end of the day, Lord, what you're looking for are not perfection as in the things that you've done or checking the boxes. It's that you want people with your heart, people who understand you and people who share your heart, Lord. God, we are blind. We are so blind. We, we see the poor as less than we are, less worthy, less deserving, of lower rank than we are. We see them as people occasionally receiving charity from us, but we fail to see, first of all, that we are created equal. It's just by an accident of birth that we are where we are and they are where they are. Forgive us, Lord, but forgive us even more that for the way we live our lives, that we are indifferent to them. And God, honestly, we can't help it, Lord. That's the way we are selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, wanting our own way and wanting to preserve our, our lives, to preserve our standard of living. Lord, only your Holy Spirit can make a change. Where you work in our hearts and you do radical change in our hearts that we may see differently that we may see and feel the pain of those who are our brothers and sisters who, who are in circumstances that need our help. And then, Lord, you open our hearts and you open our wallets. 
cause us to feel for them and to give to them. Cause us to welcome them and to embrace them. Because at the moment we, we can't. We know it. But we need to. So God, I, we pray that you will transform us. Transform us as individuals. You will transform us as a church. That we may feel the way you feel. We may see the way you see. The way you have created all of us. As people precious to you. Lord Jesus, come and change us. We ask in your name. Amen. Well, have a blessed day and do mull over this passage and what it tells us or what's in God's heart. And the Lord bless you. Bye.